Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music. It is a Tuesday, the day before the big cruising on the coast. Uh, Cruising the coast, pardon me, we'll be down there tomorrow, won't we? Oh yeah. Middays with moi will be at the 27th annual Cruise in the Coast. It's America's best car show, as voted by USA Today, and you don't want to miss it. That's Middays with Gerard from the Biloxi Town Green on Wednesday. Come by and see us, folks. We're going to be down there. I'm headed out early in the morning, and the weather looks delightful. You told me it's going to cool off later on in the week, right? Yeah, supposedly this weekend we're going to have lows for part of the Magnolia State at least in the 40s. Wow. That Might is... not quite get that cool on the Gulf Coast, but Central Mississippi North, it'll be in the 40s when you wake up on Saturday. Yeah. Well, looking forward to that little shift in the weather. We deserve it. It's been hot. Uh, unusually hot, it seems to me like, certainly for the month of August and September. I think it's just been dry. Yeah, that's uh, certainly has uh, contributed to that. Because uh, without that the viewpoint. fronts moving through, there hasn't been a reason for the temperature to break. Yeah, I I think that's right. Uh, but we got one coming up. Looks like that's going to be a bit of a dry front, right? Moving through, no precipitation expected. Though we could certainly use it, folks. The markets are plummeting this morning. That uh, the kangaroo, he ain't jumping up and down. He's just jumping down. The Dow, I think it's called falling. <laughs> Fall, okay. The Dow down 364 at this moment in time. The NASDAQ 232. That's because Treasury yields are up again. Investors concerned about inflation, not feeling good about the future there. They're plowing their money out of equities into bonds. And so that's driving yields up. Um, that's really because they fear inflation. So what is, why is that the case? Well, because if I'm going to park my money for a while and earn interest on it, well, if inflation is, is still the, 
the uh, entrenched in the economy, embedded in the economy, well then, I want higher yields to make that investment to offset future inflation. Dollar today ain't worth as much as a dollar, let's say, if you purchase a two-year treasury. Uh, and that's got the yields rising because investors expect more to make those investments, and they're repositioning their money, transferring out of equities, and that's driving the down down. I'm, I'm kind of sick of this cycle. Don't mind telling you that. This is destroying wealth, and it was all avoidable, all avoidable. The, uh, the price of energy still firmly embedded in the cost of all products and services that we acquire. And there doesn't seem to be any let-up from the Biden administration and the climate cult. They continue to preach the end of fossil fuels, and that's just driving the price up. So we got Saudi Arabia, Russia, they're also working to control and manipulate supply to keep it down, to keep the price up. The price of oil, last time I checked, about $94 a barrel. I think it set it for triple digits before the end of the year. I think we're looking at potentially $110 a barrel oil. What does that mean for your gas? Well, you kind of do the math on that. Just add 20% to the current price. 20%. So when I'm driving around town, I'm seeing that the lowest grade of regulars in the 320 range. Is that about what you see, Rhino? 320? Yeah, around there. Okay. So just plow on, um, layer on 20%. Another 70 cents, that puts you around four bucks. Yay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's, that's where we're headed, as far as I can tell. I really don't see anything to stop that. And so that means inflation is going to persist. It's very sticky. The Fed has figured that out. Their rate-hiking campaign has not really has not achieved their goals, put it that way. It's certainly moderated inflation. And this is this is the thing that really burns me up when you get Karine Jean-Pierre, the chief propagandist now for the Biden administration. This president has brought inflation down. No, inflation's not down. The rate of increase is down. There's a difference. When I think inflation's down, I want to see $2 gas. That tells me inflation's down. I think I'm aligned with the majority of Americans in that viewpoint. But it's, uh, I know you find this shocking. It's disingenuous. It's dishonest to say that. The president has not brought inflation down. The rate of increase of consumer prices certainly has moderated. I, I buy that idea, but it's still going up. Well, what it shows is either a fundamental misunderstanding of reality or a willingness to lie to your face. Maybe a little of both. We're getting... So they're either dumb or devious, one of the two. <laughs> that, I say, is both, honestly. Sadly. Sadly. 
but just be honest. I mean, I'd be okay if they came out and said, hey, look, we've, uh, we, we've seen the rate of inflation moderate somewhat. It's come down. It's declined. We still got work to do. Not as presidents brought inflation down. No. Stuff still costs more. Still going up. And your wages aren't keeping up with it. If your wages are keeping up, well, then you're not out of pocket. But they're not. That's just mathematical fact. That's data from, by the way, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. You know, the one that operates in the Biden administration. It's not just Gerard making this stuff up here. So that, let's just be honest. Tell people the truth. So don't look at your 401k plans today, because you probably won't like what you see. They're not, uh, stocks aren't doing very well. They're not performing very well. Now down 384, 1.15%. Huge market sell-off. That's because money is is, uh, being reallocated into bonds. Thus the bond yields are going up, and that's just because investors demand more from putting their money in these bonds because they're going to put it in there and go away while inflation keeps churning at it, keeps nipping away at it. That's great. You buy a treasury with a 5% yield, except inflation's more than that. So you're really upside down, honestly. But it's a concern about how inflation is going to impact bottom lines from an equity perspective and just the overall economy. Now, there was a report in the Wall Street Journal a couple of days showing that, man, people are still spending money. Still reaching into their pockets. Now, credit card debt is over a trillion. Average interest rates on credit cards, 22, 23%. Ain't cheap. I'm hearing from my banker friends that they're still doing okay. They're making loans. That's how they make money. But uh, our economy overall doesn't really... It's not really on fire when the rest of the country is booming. It's not, but it also doesn't just drop down into into the doldrums when the rest of the country experiences economic uh, turn like that. So we're 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 a little, I guess, immune to that. You could say, if you could call it that, just because we don't we don't have just a concentration of industries except agriculture and that's that's not very volatile the agriculture industry just because uh, what is produced by that agriculture industry is we got to have i mean it's a it's a staple of life it's a necessity might have some swings within pockets of agriculture but overall still got to have it that's a good thing the downside of that is it's just really difficult to grow that business But uh, we are stepping aside for a break right here in the Element Well studio. Austin Golding with Golding Barge Line is going to tell us about the Mississippi River levels at 11.05. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
Who's who's that? <laughs> Omar and the Howlers. Okay. Well, I would say you had to dig deep for that, but in in my domain, probably so. But I'm saying in others, that's popular music. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> so, I mean, the lyrics are prescient. Hard times in the land of plenty. I heard that in the welfare line. I heard that lyric in there as well. Right? Did I did I hear that right? Did he say something about that in the welfare? <laughs> Can't we like play sticks, blue collar man? How about that for for being sort of a propost for the time? We ought to dig that up, blue collar man. Although we don't have people in the unemployment line. That's kind of that's in lyrics embedded in the song. So back to this discussion of the economic situation in the country, I would like to see the Republican candidates really focus on this because poll after poll shows that by far it leads all other issues in terms of importance to voters. By far. Like it just, it laps all the other issues. It has, uh, in terms of percentage, you believe it's the top issue. That exceeds the combination of all the other issues. And I'm not downplaying the other issues. The border is ridiculous. And it's got to be addressed. Crime, outrageous. Some of the uh, cultural developments, certainly, that's a problem. And our status on the global stage, things going on there, absolutely. All those are big problems. Totally agree. Concerns about the government continuously encroaching on our freedoms, I'm all, I'm all there. I absolutely believe that. But there's no doubt that the top of the list is the economy. James Carville famously said it. When he was working for Bill Clinton, it's the economy stupid. I mean, that is, that's that's maybe the most um, memorable political line ever from a policy perspective. And is likely to survive long after Mr. Carville leaves the earth. But he's spot on. And what I, what I started thinking about, having endured the two-hour debate last week of Republicans participating, the seven running for president, none of them really beat the drum of capitalism. A little bit from Ramaswamy. But when you think about all of the kind of memorable occurrences and pieces of that debate, it's, it's Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley arguing about TikTok as an example. That seemed to just go on and on and on. And um, there, there was a little talk about the border. Should be. Absolutely. Huge deal. But I just didn't really feel like any of the candidates really focused on, promoted, dwelled on. Little by little, we're seeing the country transition from capitalism to socialism. Didn't hear a lot about that. Didn't hear anything about the Trump tax cuts, for example. Didn't hear anything about the outrageous 
regulatory framework that Joe Biden has implemented. By the way, more news on going after more of your appliances. That will never end. I mean, before it's all over with, we'll be living in tents on dirt. You won't be able to make fire, right? Because that produces, that emits CO2. Can't do that. So, why is, why is that missing? Why are we talking about that more? My concern is that the Democrats are. Of course, everything they say is wrong, but they're talking about it a lot. And it's class warfare on steroids. I'd like to see the Republicans really focus on capitalism. I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm an unabashed free market capitalist. I don't have issues like Robert Reich does and, um, and others in the Democrat Party, such as Representative Pramila Jayapal, who are now once again beating the drum of a wealth tax just yesterday. Here's what a few billionaires would owe with a hashtag wealth tax. This is from Pramila Jayapal. Jeff Bezos, he'd owe $5.7 billion. Hit the hip, Jeff. Elon Musk, $4.6. Bill Gates, $3.6. That'd leave them with $185 billion. Musk, that for Bezos, Musk, $149. Gates, $116. Something tells me they'd be okay. It's time for the ultra-rich to pay their fair share. Ignoring the fact that Elon Musk paid more taxes last year as an individual than in the history of the country. Well, let's think about this for a second. What are you going to do with it, Pramila? Let's just say you did collect that roughly $15 billion of taxes. What would you do with that? You're not going to balance the budget with that. It's a $2 trillion deficit. You're not going to pay down on the debt, because as long as you're generating a deficit, you got no cash to pay down on the debt. You're going to just expand it into more programs. We need more programs. You don't seem to care now how much money you got to spend on programs. You spend whatever the hell you want, as evidenced by the fact that we just completed the fiscal year with a $2 trillion deficit. Now think about that. Think about your own household. We spent $6.3 trillion. We only took in four, only $4.3. Only $4.3. We spent $2 trillion more than we took in. But they make a huge deal out of this. Oh my gosh, we could get $15 billion from these billionaires. Economic bliss would break out. Think about that. We'd all be wealthy. We just take their money. We could have more. They don't actually want to solve a problem. They just want to punish success because they're green with envy. There's no doubt about it. They're so resent. This little Robert Reich is is so resentful, so envious of these people. My concern, though, is this crap resonates with people. They just eat this up. When they say, yeah, we're going after those billionaires. I hate those people. They got money. I hate them. Oh, let me go click here on Amazon and buy something. Right? 
Let me fire up my Microsoft Word. Now, you may not agree... You're assuming most of these moochers actually know how to work. <laughs> most of them are just moochers that have been uh, generation after generation of moochers. <laughs> that is absolutely true. But these people think that the tax code ought to be structured based on what you can afford. <laughs> not just to fund the constitutionally appropriate functions of government. Oh, no, we don't worry about that. You can afford this, you can afford that, that's how much we're going to collect. Then I'll just dream up programs, and everybody will love me and vote for me and put me back there in office. So all my other moocher friends can make some money. <laughs> that's true. So this is what bothers me. So I'm looking at this post, right, from Robert Reich. I just, I just want the, the folks to understand how other people think. And we may have people that are listening that think that's a good idea. I hope not. And I'll make the case for that in a minute. But here's, here's what they say. Yep, they used to pay their fair share of taxes in America. Another says, the ultra-rich just crave more wealth and power. Laws must be passed which will force them to pay back what this country has provided for them. Are you kidding me? That's how they think. You don't think they've provided anything? How the hell you think they got rich? Because we all buy what they make. They go after Larry Ellison. He's another one. I don't know if you guys know who he is. He founded Oracle. Guarantee you that almost every single day, every American is interacting with some entity who's using Oracle. Because it provides enormous value. That's how you get rich. You serve your fellow man. It's real simple. You got to take your hat off to Ellison. He's crazy now. He's a nut. I've met him before. He's not a left-wing nut. He's just kind of eccentric. But he invented this technology that is extremely useful and valuable. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well studio. Listen to podcasts. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. The great Tommy Shaw on vocals there with Sticks. There you go, Dennis DeYoung. He's on the uh, keyboards there. <laughs> that was great. I'm in the unemployment line is what he said. <laughs> Uh, I'll tell you how you can get out of the unemployment line. is Win the lottery. 
The Powerball's on up there. You seen that? I haven't been keeping up with it, but I've seen it's pretty big. It's one billion dollars. One point oh four billion. Uh incredible. Actually, the next drawing, I, sh- I take it back. That was the that was for Monday. No winners. The next drawing tomorrow, one point two billion. Or if you want cash, you'll have to settle for five hundred and fifty-one million dollars. Uh, I recommend. I've said this before, but I don't mind repeating it. I recommend if you play and you want to track the games, the drawdown games uh, in Mississippi, and of course the multi-state games, Powerball, Mega Millions. There's an app called Lotto. Real simple, Lotto. And you can set your state to be Mississippi, and boom, as soon as you fire that baby up, the first thing you see is the Mega Millions and the Powerball, the last drawing, the winning numbers, whether or not a jackpot was achieved, how much it was, and then the next one coming up. It's a pretty good app. But um, there'll be a little money to be had. I'm sure the old sales will be fairly well boosted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> given the big old jackpot. I mean, I only ever play when it gets this big, so I might have to stop by the gas station and buy me a ticket. A lot of people, I think, are in the same boat. They they wait till the jackpot gets on up there, and they say, what the heck? Be sure you buy the Powerball, because that increases. And it, you don't have to just win and match all five, of course. Uh, plus the Powerball. There's Different levels of prizes. Oh, yeah. Uh, But I'd like to see someone in the state of Mississippi win the big old jackpot. How cool would that be? Yesterday, I was privileged to attend an event that featured Robert Kennedy Jr. as the speaker. This event was hosted by the National Apostolic Christian Leadership Conference, the Pentecostal Church. Great folks here in the state of Mississippi, in the Pentecostal Church, in the congregation. Um, And it was in conjunction with uh, Mississippi Parents for Vaccine Rights, MPVR. There was probably, I'm going to guess, 170, 180 people in attendance. It wasn't promoted. I'm not really sure if it was an invitation-only event or not, but uh, I'm honored that my friend Ron Mattis, who works uh, for the Pentecostal Church organization in the state in government affairs, I see him at the Capitol a lot, great guy, and uh, he invited me to attend. I was honored to do so. I really enjoyed hearing Mr. Kennedy speak. I'm going to say he spoke 20, 30 minutes or so, and then Ron did a great job of asking a series of questions, kind of conducted a little sofa, living room type, if you will, uh, interview. Mr. Kennedy responded. But probably half of his speech or so was, man, was a walk down memory lane, recalling the history of the events surrounding his father, of course, who was assassinated in 1968 in Los Angeles. He said he was there, 14, at the time. And, of course, his uncle was also assassinated as the president of the United States. But, gosh, when he 
walk through some of that history. It was fascinating. It's just incredible to think about those historical events in our country that honestly changed our country, I believe, were pivotal, and you could argue the world. And to you know, have somebody in your presence, regardless of what you think about Mr. Kennedy's politics and political views, but to be the son of someone and the nephew of someone who served as the president, son of someone who was the AG and, of course, running for president, had a pretty dang good shot of winning, honestly, if his life hadn't been snuffed out by an idiot. Sirhan Sirhan, I believe. I don't know that we ever understood the motive. There's lots of speculation on that. Los Angeles. I mean, it's just crazy. I think it was Rhino, the Los Angeles, was it the Hilton, I believe, the hotel, as I recall? Um, fairly close to the downtown Los Angeles proper area. It seems like that's why. It was one of the, it's either Hilton or a Hyatt, but I want to say it was a Hilton. What do you see? The Ambassador's Hotel. Yeah, but I, I want to say it was part of the Hilton chain. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a Hilton now. Maybe that's what it is. Because uh, I, I know I've stayed there uh, on business at that property. But nonetheless, when I tell you what really struck me, folks, is I remember this vividly. I was 10 years old. There was a, uh, a train procession carrying Mr. Kennedy's body. I'm not sure the departure, I want to say it's Philadelphia maybe, and traveled through the East Coast down to Washington. I think that's right. I, I, I may have the starting and terminating points wrong, but I, but I remember the train, and I remember people lining the tracks in reverence, in memory, respect for Robert F. Kennedy. And he talked about that yesterday. I, and I just remember the black and white, you know, live television feed of that. As, as a child, and it, I mean, it's sad. Even even as a young boy, it's sad, obviously. Can't help but be overcome. You're seeing people crying and and kneeling as the train came by. And, uh, again, regardless of his political views, it's just tragic that a life gets snuffed out like that by an idiot, a maggot, honestly. I'm sorry, I don't like to say that about people, but when you take another person's life like that, I I got no other words, honestly. I got no kind words to say. But it was fascinating hearing him talk about it. He um, he makes a lot of great points. Uh, I have researched his, uh, his political stances on a number of the critical issues. He makes a lot of great points. Of course, he's. I think it's fair to say he... Really got a lot of traction in, in calling out his stances on the way COVID was handled. He's, he is a staunch opponent of uh, vaccines, and he, he is uh, <laughs> very critical of Anthony Fauci and, and his waffling, which he did all over the place. As time went on, he seemed to do 180s numerous times. Seemed to really enjoy the limelight, did Fauci, more so than than really addressing the issue and keeping us healthy and safe. Uh, but, he, but he talked about that, and, and he, he warned of the cozy relationship between 
Wall Street, corporate America, and the so-called elite, and uh, those in political power. He's absolutely right. And he talked about the encroachment on our freedoms. He even brought up specific examples and then related those to the Bill of Rights, you know, specific um, rights enumerated therein. I thought that was really good, and I I thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, I will say that uh, I don't align totally with Mr. Kennedy on his on his economic policy views, and I and I I'm going to say again that the path to the White House is on economic policy. I totally believe that, folks. It's what it's what's on top of everybody's mind because you can't escape it. It it's. It's in your face every day. By the way, I did look up the uh, the price of gas. AAA does a great job with that. We've had AAA reps on our show. As of today, national average three dollars and eighty cents. It's three point seven nine eight. I'm going to round it up to three eighty. Mississippi three dollars and twenty two cents. We're talking about the lowest grade of regular in California. Six bucks for the lowest grade of regular. Six bucks. That's two seventy more than it is here. Two seventy. Which is incredible. More about uh, Mr. Kennedy speaking here in Jackson yesterday that uh, I was privileged to attend. On the other side of the break, we're in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well studio is the Dow. Dips even lower, now down 418 points. It's a brutal sell-off. It's unbelievable. It just aggravates me to no end. The NASDAQ down to uh, two thir- down 239. Looks like oil is now just below 90 bucks, so it's retreated just a bit. But it ain't through. It's going up. I'm convinced of that. So we're talking about Mr. Kennedy. And uh, on the break there, I, I took a look at that, that train. I just remember that, that carried uh, his, his body. And it was a, a funeral train, is how it was described, June 8th, 1968, from New York to Washington. I thought it was Philadelphia, my apologies, New York for the ultimate burial at Arlington Cemetery. And uh, you can go out there and look at it, folks. There's this some of the video that was captured by the the television networks at the time, the three big networks. And I remember that. I just do, vividly. And going back and watching that video, I just came back in my head. Interesting. But he was a revered individual, there's no doubt. Very popular. And folks turned out. 
uh, for that last journey that he took. So Mr. Kennedy, um, again, was warning about these encroachments on our freedom and this cozy relationship and that exists between the political elite and the wealthy, and uh, in this, in in some situations, corporations, no doubt, lobbyists, etc. Absolutely, and then that's something I think we should pay attention to and be concerned about. <clears throat> Where I differ with Mr. Kennedy is on economic policy. He um, he railed against Amazon for not paying any income taxes. And honestly, folks, it sounded just like Joe Biden in that regard. We've discussed it countless times on the show, why it is that so many companies, so many corporations pay no income taxes, uh, even though they produce profit from a book perspective, what's called a financial perspective, versus a tax profit. And Joe Biden, you recall, was able to include in the Inflation Reduction Act. What the hell this has to do with inflation? No idea. But, of course, virtually everything in the bill has nothing to do with inflation. And he included this minimum tax on companies who produce more than a billion dollars of revenue, not income, revenue. They're subject to it. And you hear him say it all the time. Can you believe there are 50 companies that made $40 billion in profit last year and paid zero income tax. Well, that's because companies like Amazon said one has to understand taxes and the tax code and tax structure, at least at a high level, to grasp the concept. But that's because, first, Amazon lost money for years and years and years. And you're able to apply net, it's called NOLs, net operating losses that are accumulated to future profits. Because when you produce a loss, the government doesn't send you any money. You just don't owe them anything because you don't have any taxable income. But so you can write that off against future profits. And then the other thing is immediate expensing. This was something in the Trump Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which I think is a great provision. You buy capital equipment, it take, take Amazon with all these data centers they're standing up all over the place and these distribution facilities and so forth. Well, all the, the not the real estate, but the capital investment involved there, which is massive, you write that off in the year of purchase against your income. Well, in Amazon's case, they spend so much on that, it yields zero income. Now, for book purposes, they have to depreciate that over the useful life of the equipment, of the asset. But for tax purposes, you get to write it off in that year. Now, the next year, you don't get any write-off. Because you've written it all off already. So all you're doing is de- deferring the tax liability. You're not evading it, which is the way Biden tries to present it. And so Mr. Kennedy said that, and I, I'm sorry that he doesn't take what I just said into consideration. That's actually a Democrat leftist talking point, and so I, I can't get on board with that. And um, I, I wish he'd be a little more, um, I don't want to say honest about it, I just don't think he's really researched it to that extent. So I, I just don't think he knows. I also heard Rand Paul, Rhino, this weekend, when the House was trying to get something done and debating the spending bill to keep the government open. And Rand Paul, of course, opposes you know, all that, and that's fine. He certainly opposes 
additional spending on Ukraine. A lot of people do. And Rand Paul said, well, it doesn't make any sense to borrow money from China to fund Ukraine, except, Rand, that's not what we do. We don't borrow money from China. They own about $900 billion of their $33 trillion of debt. That's not how it works, sir. You should know better. I'm honestly disappointed. Know your facts. Know who owns our debt. Every person, in, in my view, in the U.S. Congress ought to have that embedded in their head the breakdown of our debt in terms of who owns it. We're coming right back with more. It's time for a break. Austin Golding with Golding Barge Line is going to talk about the river. Stay tuned for the news. And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. It's hour two of middays. We are looking for our guest at this point, Mr. Austin Golding. So we'll just wait to get uh, some contact there. Appreciate you joining us today. So on the ceasefire text line, I'm all for capitalism and profits, but why should those making great profits get grants, tax credits, etc., that I help pay for? To start, I'm all for helping. But before millionaires and billionaires are made, those incentives should be stopped or limited. Your thoughts? You mean grants like for farmers? The farming industry receives more grants than any other industry in the country. The state of Mississippi would really be in tough shape without federal grants to farmers. I'm not sure what other grants you're talking about. They're really very few. Um, to corporate America, to see corporations, um, R and D, some R and T D, uh, re- for research, targeted research. It, it's it's minimal. We're talking about a teeny tiny fraction of a, uh, a their revenue and a, a tiny um, impact on their tax liability. There are really a few credits that. A C-Corp can take, there's a foreign tax credit, and that's just a deduction of foreign income, excess profits paid or accrued during the tax year to any foreign country or U.S. possession. So if you pay taxes foreign, you operate a corporation, you've got foreign operations, you pay taxes there, you get a credit of that against your, your federal U.S. tax liability. I believe that's fair. So... You know, this gets into the weeds about how should we calculate the amount subject to tax. And there are thousands of pages in the IRS regulations just to figure out what your taxable income is. Not your tax, just your taxable income. Thousands upon thousands. And by the way, this corporate minimum tax that Joe Biden signed off on in the Inflation Reduction Act. So these corporations that make these massive investments in capital equipment are not able to get the full benefit of that 
investment as an expense against their, as a deduction against their tax liability, their taxable income, to determine the amount of income subject to tax. I read the other day, Rhino, the IRS is struggling codifying that. It's so dang freaking complicated, the IRS can't code it. Therefore, it's not being implemented yet. That's what happens when fools in Washington dream this crap up, because it just sounds good. We're going to make them pay taxes. And then they hand it over to the IRS, and they say, we can't figure this out. And I started reading, it hurt my head. I started reading on some of the the various situations that they're encountering. Well, let's see, if it's a C-Corp, but it's got a billion dollars, but it's got this ownership and this, and it's located there, and it reverses to that, and it's a partnership, they can't figure it out. Are you surprised, though? No. Uh, because it amounts to $8 billion. If you got every penny was taxed on a book basis, which it won't be, it's $8 billion. $8 billion in a $6 trillion budget. It's got nothing to do with trying to increase revenues to offset spending. Zero. It's totally political. It's populist. Look at us. We put it to them corporations. So, but to our listener here, uh, grants are like zero, except mainly in the farming industry. You can go look at that. And then, of course, the green agenda. There's all kinds of crazy grants there. Subsidies. Just passing the Inflation Reduction Act. And, you know, they're struggling with that. You've seen that. Well, gosh, we get this mineral from this country and that from this country. They can't make it work. And, in fact, I read another day where the traditional auto manufacturers are saying that based on laws, regs passed in the Biden administration, they expect they're not going to be able to comply with the emissions requirements and so forth. And they get fined if they don't in their manufacturing of these vehicles. They say it's going to cost them $14 billion because they can't comply. This is impossible. You know what the corporate tax rate should be, in my view? 0.00. Now, a lot of people say, we couldn't do that. We can't let those corporations make all that money not pay any taxes. Right. You know what it amounts to, corporate income taxes in this country? $250 billion a year. I'm not saying that's zero, but once again, in the context of how much we spend, $6 trillion, $250 billion, the deficit's 10 times more next year than what corporate corporations pay in income taxes. Make it zero. You want to see the economy get going? Set the corporate tax rate to zero. And you know what would happen? We as individuals, I believe, would produce more income, which means we'd produce more income taxes at the individual level. The corporate tax rate ought to be zero. But you know what's happening right now is we're unwinding this immediate expensing I was just talking about. Because we couldn't make that permanent when it was passed in the Trump administration. So it's being phased out. It was 100%, it's now 80. Next year it goes to 70. It's being phased out. So guess who loses? Small businesses who make those products that the big corporations buy. Because the big corporations say, well, I don't get to write that off this year. I'm not as motivated to make that purchase. 
I've dealt with this personally, because what we sold, my company, two large corporations, a lot of times that factored into it. You can buy all this IT, hardware and software, write it off in the year of purchase, figured into it big time. So that's who hurt. That's who gets hurt. It's just the opposite of what they think. They think it hurts the big corporations. It doesn't. It hurts the people that sell them the stuff. Do they not get that just simple economic model? I get, nope. I get. I don't really think they do. I really don't. Imagine you're a small business and you're and you're serving these large corporations, which many do, and they come tell you, "Well, I'm sorry, we can't buy as much this year because we don't get to write that off." That's the way it happens. I've been in meetings where I've heard that with my own ears. It happens. So then it's the small businesses with the with the employees in the local communities. That's who suffers. Big corporations just say, okay, we'll just defer that and we'll deal with it later. Well, in the IT world, they just try to make it last longer. That's what they do. And then you know what happens. They, by making it last longer, they're more vulnerable to cyber attacks. <laughs> and then they get ransomware hit, and then it cost them a fortune. Which, by the way, Hines County, still down. You know that, right? I think I'm right. They're still down. They just hired two contractors. At, uh, they just a- approved, right, 600 grand, I think, maybe more than that. I think it's 600 grand. You're shaking your head. That's the figure that sticks in my mind. Hines County, two consultants to come help them resolve this ransomware problem. Since the 7th of September... I'm seeing reporting now in the last 24 hours that they're back up and running. Okay. But I bet they paid a ransom to do it. I don't know if you're seeing any reporting on that. I'd be shocked if they were able to restore operations without. It it doesn't matter. It's down a month, roughly, which is ridiculous. And every county in this country is vulnerable to this. And if we had elections during that time period, we couldn't have them in that county. Can't get to the voter rolls. Now, they'll tell you they got all that backed up on paper. No, they don't. And it'd be dumb to do that anyhow. Why to have systems if you're going to keep it on paper? So, back to Mr. Kennedy. Delightful individual, I will tell you that. And very smart. There ain't no doubt about that. He's extremely smart, very well-read, very eloquent, very articulate. Um, I totally enjoyed being with him and hearing him speak. Uh, I'm just not aligned with him on economic issues. I think that's pretty clear now. Uh, And that's fine. Um, But I will say this, Rhino, about him that, that I do think makes him attractive to a lot of people. He does seem to be open to listening. Would you agree? He seems to be, you know, he went to the border. He completely changed his outlook on that. Because he went and saw it with his own eyes. And he said, yeah, it's a problem. We need to change this. So I think he can evolve on almost anything because he is willing to listen to input from others. Well, that in itself is a significant positive trait for anyone in the political world. Because most of them just don't want to hear it. They don't, they're not interested in hearing certainly counter views, counter viewpoints. We got a president that won't get his butt to the border. We got a border czar, the vice president. She won't take herself to the border. But this guy did, and he witnessed it firsthand. He came out with a completely different outlook. 
And I applaud him for that. And I believe he could evolve on economic issues as well. We're coming right back. Foghead bumping us out. Stay with us. Three. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, on to the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. back, everyone. It is Middays. We appreciate you joining us today. So, a um, couple other things just to share with you about Mr. Kennedy. He does support student loan forgiveness. In fact, he pledged, this may have been back in the June, I think, time frames, I recall. He was... Uh, he was upset at the SCOTUS ruling that struck down Biden's student loan forgiveness program. And he said that he blamed it on Biden, said he should have brought the Congress together because, to get this done, because that's why they struck it down. They didn't strike down just the concept of forgiving student loans. They struck the thing down because it was done without the approval, the consent of Congress, which I think is correct. Trying to rein in the executive branch, which is what the Supreme Court should do. It was, it was a legal issue. Can the president unilaterally, just with the swipe of a pen, forgive $600 billion of loans owed to the government, to the taxpayers? And the Supreme Court, I believe, rightfully decided, no, he can't. So Mr. Kennedy said, this is a failure on the part of Mr. Biden because he didn't go to Congress and persuade Congress and get this done through the normal lawmaking process. But he does support it. Um, and he said, quote, I will, actually, he pledged, quote, to galvanize public support to pressure Congress. Okay, to implement uh, a plan to relieve student debt holders of their debt. So he totally supports that. He, uh, he also was upset about the Supreme Court's affirmative action ruling. He believes that that was a setback for race, race relations and racial atonement in the country. So I differ with him on, on those viewpoints, just as I do on... So when I hear somebody attacking Amazon for not paying any income taxes because they had huge capital investment write-offs and also applying their previously incurred net operating losses, I, I think that, well, you want companies to pay taxes when they lose money. That's what I think. And it's... I think it comes, honestly, Rhino, as a shock to people. They know how gigantic Amazon is. And he even joked about it yesterday. He said, you know, but you have to admit, it's pretty neat, isn't it? You just tap something on your phone and stuff shows up in your driveway the next day. Is the way Mr. Kennedy described it. 
But what's not well known, and you know I've talked about it many times, and I've dug through their financial statements, is that they lose money in that e-commerce business. Now, they made money in 20, and guess why? COVID in states, not the federal government, but based on federal guidance, states shut down small businesses, restaurants, Beauty salons, I mean, go down the list, right? Uh, workout facilities, etc. It was crazy. I mean, it seems like we were talking about that every day. And Mr. Kennedy did a great job yesterday of pointing out the inequity of that. The big box retailers, the Walmarts and the Krogers and the Amazons all benefited, absolutely. But let's be honest. Those shutdowns were done at the state level, the local level, not the federal they don't have any power to do so. But that was just based on what they thought was the right thing to do. We witnessed it here. Remember, we we couldn't even play sports outside. We shut down all the sporting facilities, the recreational facilities. Because at the time, it wasn't understood this stuff can't really survive out of doors, especially in bright sunshine. And that pivotal deal, I remember vividly, Rhino, we talked about on the program, was one of those scientists that had been studying just the viability of the virus and had calculated and and uh, through all the scientific experiments the half-life, remember that, of the virus, and all these various scenarios. Because remember, we were, like, uh, I say we, people were spraying down their Amazon boxes because it was recommended. Remember that? I remember at the golf course, we took the sand bottles and the rakes up. Oh, my gosh, we may touch the rake after somebody that had the COVID just touched it. That's how crazy things got. And he yesterday, Mr. Kennedy talked about, he lives in California, how the state of California and some of the communities, it shut down the outdoor basketball courts. Oh, yeah, they brought in the back end or the front end loaders and... Filled up the skate parks with sand. That's right. And he said in those basketball courts where they don't have fences, they removed the hoops. <laughs> yeah, they, the they put wood and bolted it over it and stuff so <laughs> you couldn't use it. I, I still have to bring up the one that comes to mind that's so funny. I can still see it was that Nassau County manager that was out there on the tennis courts. <laughs> ordering the closure of the tennis courts to singles. Uh, you can play singles, but no doubles. <laughs> like, that's going to make a difference. You're too close to your partner in the doubles competition. It's so serious about it. Flanked with all the, <laughs> the city, county executives, we're here telling you no doubles. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Or the lawyer dressed up like death standing out at the beach. <laughs> when... when um, DeSantis opened up the beaches in Florida, the Grim Reaper on the beach. Oh, but let's be honest. We many people fell for it. Now I know there's a lot of people out there who say, I never did, and all that stuff. Okay, fine. But the vast majority of the governments, state governments in the in the local governments did. Couldn't go to church, church online. And then we had every other pew for a while and all that stuff. Yeah, it was crazy, honestly. But what Mr. Kennedy said was right, I believe, which is maybe we vested too much power in these people at all levels of government, right, for them to be able to just, you know, sign a piece of paper to do that. I agree with him on that. But 
you shouldn't blast Walmart and Amazon because they made out like bandits during that period. They didn't ask for it. The government produced that dynamic. But that, I was pointing out that in 2020, and then believe it or not, for the first two quarters of this year, the only in Amazon's history where they actually produced a net profit in the e-commerce business. All their profit, historically, which ain't a lot, honestly, given the size of their revenues, comes from Amazon Web Services, the cloud business. That's where the profit is. Last year, for example, in the year 2022, their fiscal year, the company generated almost $500 billion of revenue. That's massive. Biggest in the country from a revenue perspective. But they only made $12 billion. That's 2% and change. That's terrible. Well, that's because they made $22 billion in their web services business. They lost 10 shipping all that stuff to us. $10 billion. 10 Globally, because they operate overseas as well. Lose money at that. Well, what do you want them to do? Pay tax on losses? So that, the context is important. The math's important. Um, but right, but so that's one of Joe's targets because they pay. Even though they made did Amazon last year, they made twelve billion, which is terrible, on five hundred billion of revenue. They still paid little to no taxes, and Joe wants them to pay taxes based on that twelve billion. Which would amount to $2.4 billion. That's 21% tax rate. Well, they don't because they wrote off that gigantic amount of money they spent on all the equipment in those data centers and all these distribution facilities, like the one they stood up here in Madison County during that year. A lot of money to build out those massive distribution facilities. Well, because of that's capital equipment, they get to write that off in that year. I mean, it's, I'm getting kind of wonky into tax stuff, but it's important for people who make tax laws to at least have some understanding of this, in my view. You would think. At least get, get input, get advice. Like, why did they pay none? It's not, it's not like, well, nobody went after Amazon. They didn't pay any tax. It's not like you don't know who they are. I mean, if the IRS really wanted to bang for their buck, that's where you'd go. Hey, there's $2.4 billion waiting for you. But that's because they complied with the law. Who doesn't? Who says, I'm just going to ignore that deduction. I'm going to ignore that provision. I- I'm not going to take advantage of that. I'm just going to send the money to get the government. Because, after all, they're the most efficient stewards of money on the planet. <laughs> that's what bothers me. Like, what do you want it for? Representative Jaya Powell, why would we want to send it to you? So you can light a match to it? Because that's all you're going to do. Through more programs. We're stepping aside for a break. Christian Hartley, Super Talk Opinion writer, joins us at 12.05. Now that's country. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Just close my eyes again Climbed aboard the dream weave 
studio it's middays we welcome to the program austin golding with a golding barge line austin thanks for coming on glad we got it worked out yeah appreciate it sorry about that sorry for the delay yeah so uh we wanted to have you on to give us an update on the river we understand that the the level of the water is quite low and that's causing some problems what's uh what's your take on it well, you know, it is certainly causing some problems. We knew this was going to be an issue a long time ago. Uh, we've been kind of planning on it going forward, but we've had a really tough year. It, we thought, as I came on a couple weeks earlier on Paul Gallo's show, that it wasn't going to get quite this bad, but we saw a quick fall in Memphis and a high-pressure system be kind of over the central part of the country for the last month. So we're in a situation now where it's changing. I was just in the meeting where we're, we're kind of re, uh, reevaluating some of our drafts and under, kind of understand how much we can load on our barges to be able to safely navigate. But the bottom line means less cargo on barges making the same runs that they always have. So if there's less cargo, then it's less efficient and ends up costing the consumer more money. Yeah. Yeah, totally understand. How is this affecting the agriculture industry, which is uh, so critical to the state's economy? So really in two ways. One, the first way is they can't get their crops out of the field and to market uh, as efficiently as they normally can. <clears throat> the second one is if they got any kind of chemicals or fertilizers or other barge-fed products that go to manage those fields either before or after the harvest, those are also not going to be as delivered as efficiently. So the real trouble isn't so much the channel of the river. It's the docks that we have that unload and load these products at different ports. They're not really built to service 60 feet in variable river height. So they operate really within normal uh, river levels and standards, but they come offline whenever the river gets this low because there's not enough freeboard to either let the product get on and off or the the, uh, area's not dredged deep enough to let the barges draft what they need when you get them loaded. Gotcha. So uh, are are there any solutions, anything that uh, you can do to work around this? Well, sometimes there are. Uh, we have the ability to load barges partially, stage other barges out in the river that we can draft deeper, uh, that we can still put the amount of product on the barge to go downriver that we normally do, but that takes time and money and extra barges. So, no, it's really a waiting game. Uh, you know, the Corps holds a lot of our answers in their hands. They do a lot of dredging and a lot of preventative maintenance and put a lot of infrastructure in the river that helps it scour itself out. Uh, so they've been our first line of defense, and they've done a hell of a job. They, they've really done a great a great um, service to this country and putting our tax dollars to good use, which is not not so much the norm these days. But the <laughs> Corps of Engineers is very, very efficient, and they are really going to bat to keep this thing open every day. And they have a big uh, presence over in Vicksburg, right? They do. You know, I, I praise them uh, because I'm being honest with you, not just because I see them at the grocery store or at church. But uh, they are doing a great job, and they're a big employer in Vicksburg. We have a lot of really, really uh, high-level people that are managing uh, different things as a core engineer that call Vicksburg home, uh, and it's a blessing to have them here. That, that, that really makes Vicksburg kind of insulated from any kind of recession. Yeah. 
uh, also operate um, one of uh, the nation's only supercomputers. It's actually located uh, in inside the uh, the facility there, the Coors facility. It's a Cray supercomputer, and they obviously use that uh, in what they do in, in trying to predict all this water movement and, and trying to get ahead of that and, and make adjustments, and it, it takes into into account all the weather patterns and, and all the connections and tributaries and everything else. I mean, it's, it's fascinating what they do, but they've got lots of uh, just fantastic engineers that work for them in that respect. They do, and they have a lot of different uh, types of, of, of work that goes on here outside of just the river. There's weapons development, uh, all kind of uh, armor and tech that they have war games that they promote and have over here. Uh, and it's pretty unique installation to have. I liken it to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and the Wright-Patterson Institute that's outside in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. This is pretty much that for the U.S. Army. And we have it right here in Mississippi. And I guess purposely they uh, they don't promote themselves very much. Yeah. But it is very, very important, a big installation. That's a good point. All right, so what about, um, Austin, the river levels uh, upstream to the north? How, how's that looking? Well, we have a system coming through really the next, really starting today through the next two or three days. It should give us some relief. We uh, just upped some of our drafts uh, to where we're going to draft around eight feet with our products, which which are typically oil and gas products, very, very hazardous cargo. So we're a little more conservative on our drafts than some of the other dry cargo guys. They'll, they'll go to nine, nine and a half feet still. But we are going to get some water this week and this weekend. It should stabilize things, but there's not much forecasted behind it. Uh, we're usually getting out of the low water situation by mid to late October. I think this year it's going to be more like November, but but it's coming, and we'll get out of this. And, and um, I don't want to change anything, but I do think we're in the midst of the worst of it. Okay, okay. So uh, right now you're just having to work around it. I think is what what I'm hearing, and uh, you, you're using some, I guess, some techniques and technology to do that. And it sounds like assistance from the Corps as well, and, and others to just work through this thing. True, and you know, it, it, I will say, people, you always hear about the accidents of high water, and a flood is very much so right in everybody's face. Uh, low water is what we fear, not okay. high water. Okay. Uh, the more water, the better. Okay. So low water right now is when it you have uh, the ability to go on ground, the ability to have an accident could be right ahead of you at all times, and you never know it. In high water, we know locks, bridges. Docks. These are our pinch points. But in low water, it could be anywhere. It could okay. be just one mistake. If you miss a buoy, you're done. That makes sense. What about any access to any ports along the river that you serve? Are any of those off limits right now, Austin? You just can't serve them? None of them are offline. Some of the facilities we go within those ports are offline. Okay. Um, Memphis, we, uh, we're Valero's largest carrier of clean products out of their Memphis refinery, and they're having some issues around some of their facilities, uh, and the lake itself is really shallow. Uh, but we've been able to still at least get some of our vessels that draft lighter than others in and out of that in and out of that facility in that, that geographic area. I see. Well, wow. So um, how how is this affecting you to the extent you're willing to talk about? How is this affecting your revenues? Are, are they down as a result? Well, if we move everything now on a day rate for our our business, so we're our revenue is unaffected. We're okay. getting paid kind of like Uber. You okay. know, if we're stuck in traffic or driving. We're, we're charging the same, but yeah. um, 
if you're moving anything on a freightment, which a lot of the people that are moving the cargo that comes out of the agricultural world or the dry cargo world, they're hurting. But they, they get paid by the ton. So the more that they can move, the more they get paid. So if they're going to if they're having less tonnage on their toes, they're getting paid less to make the same run. So they are feeling it. Hmm. Um, and, they, and to a degree, they're not going to go out just as a, a total loss. They're going to pass some of the same cost on regardless of the amount of product. Yeah. So it's going to get more expensive to use the same mode. Uh, but one thing that can be a positive, we sell ourselves as a service. And so when water gets low and things get critical, uh, if we manage it the right way by giving good communication, good estimates, and operate safely, this can actually be kind of a sales pitch for us down the road because if all things are, are equal, you're going to go with the big, the big volume operators that have the ability to solve all your problems with the snap of a finger. I, I like to solve problems that take them a while to solve, and so you want to use me as part of your portfolio, not all your portfolio, but a part of it is kind of a, a bar that you can measure everybody against. So we see these opportunities, these crises become sales pitches for us, and um, we're used to it. My family's been operating on this river for 50 years, and so we feel like we can beat the private equity guys at it all day. Yeah. Interesting. So I, I didn't realize that. Uh, I just picked up on that. Private equity is entering your industry, has been investing in your industry. They like the depreciation. They like the high yeah. capital costs. Yeah. Um, they like the fact that our equipment usually appreciates. Yeah. You know, we depreciate it on the sheet, but it appreciates <laughs> on the market. And yeah. uh, they also, I think that they that they see an institutional. This is really privatized public infrastructure. This is like a pipeline or like a highway that we get to own a piece of the operation of. So yeah, um, we have publicly traded competitors private equity competitors, and family businesses. Those are really the three sectors that, that do what we do. Yeah, sure. Interesting. Uh, not I, Actually, now that you uh, pointed that out, not surprised. I mean, that, that kind of – because you, you're able to generate free cash flow uh, and minimize taxes, income taxes, because of the – we were just talking about that on the program, because of the uh, immediate expensing of a lot of these assets. So, yeah. And you got an asset that you're immediately expensing, getting the tax benefit, and it's appreciating while you're doing that, which is fantastic. It is. You just have to fill it full of volatile chemicals and, and cargo and fill it full of people and put up with their drama, and <laughs> you're in business. I, I get it, man. I understand. That's Such <laughs> is the life of a business owner. I, I completely understand. Uh, Austin, appreciate it, man. That was great. And uh, we'll get through this, and, and uh, appreciate you being a great Mississippi company as well. Thank you. And look, thank you, and I apologize for being late. We were dealing with some of this, and I thank you all for your patience. You got it. No problem. Understand. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well Studio. You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk Mississippi. In the Element Well studio, so as Lisa in Clara, Mississippi says, Attila Toba Truck Stop had regular gas for two eighty nine. Wow. Well, they're well below 
the AAA reported average in the state of Mississippi, which is $3.22. I haven't seen any two handles around town uh, over the last couple of weeks. But that's great. I appreciate you telling us that. Gerard, do you think there's a realistic chance the House decides to move on from McCarthy? Um, I don't, and I'm, I'm watching it. It's unfolding now. The vote is supposed to happen here pretty soon. You may know, folks, uh, this is from Ben from Madison, by the way. Uh, you may be aware that Representative Matt Gates of Florida yesterday filed the papers to oust Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy. I think, honestly, that Gates is uh, misguided with his move there and is looking for exposure. I really do feel like that, that um, he likes the media attention, shall we say. I don't think this is uh, does anything but uh, signals to the American people that the Republican Party is deeply divided and in disarray, and the people we need, these independents in these dozen or so counties, in Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona, they see this and say, oh, shoot, I might have to vote Democrat. That's my fear, seriously. So I don't think that really benefits the party and doesn't benefit the country. I, I honestly don't think McCarthy's doing that bad a job. I'm a little taken aback that, it, that they've known this thing was coming, this funding situation for 10 months, and seemed like it was a fire drill again. Always is. And can you really say the Republicans are deeply divided when it's less than a handful of people that are upset? No, I can't, but I think the Democrat Party portrays it that way. No, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think there's deep division there when you're right, that it's, it really is a, a minority of uh, folks that uh, are, are looking for fame, honestly, it seems. But I think the Democrats effectively portray it that way. I do and promote it as such. So I, we're waiting for the vote. Um, at this point, Ben, looks like the news I just saw, the teaser I just saw on the, on the news says that's scheduled, coming. We're awaiting it. So we shall see. Reese and Clarksdale said, I remember Rosie Greer of the L.A. Rams, big old lineman, I remember, breaking Sirhan Sirhan's hand. Really? Yeah, when the shots first rang out, a couple of people uh, grabbed Sirhan Sirhan and were wrestling with him. And if I'm not mistaken, Rosie Greer was defending RFK's wife and rushed to the scene. And his story is that he grabbed the he grabbed the gun under the trigger guard and he grabbed the hammer so it couldn't fire because there were others injured. It was RFK that passed due to his injuries to prevent it from going off again wrenched it away from Sirhan Sirhan and put it in his pocket. Because hmm. he's the one that wound up holding the weapon, and it was in his pocket. I'll be darned. I'll, I didn't know that. And I think it was in that instance that he broke his hand by wrenching the gun away from him. Wow. How about that? So, um, also, uh, Johnny in West Point says, I heard an interview with him, and I think I remember him saying that Sirhan didn't kill him. I guess we're talking about um, RFK Jr., Right? Did, did he said that? I'll be darned. I didn't know that. Interesting. Uh, 
Rand Paul knows it, but sounds more dramatic saying that we're borrowing from China, says K Dog and Wiggins. It does, but I, I just well, Rand Paul does have a flair for the dramatic. Just remember him wasting all that money getting the Congress to, the Congressional Printing Office to print off all those stupid signs for his little card he could roll around. That's true. All um, about saving taxpayer dollars, unless it's to make a point. Yeah, and that's um, kind of disappointing. Uh, but. We got to be honest, it's, and it's just not being honest. And U.S. senators need to be honest, in my view. Biden was a senator. This is Philip in Walthall County. Biden was a senator from Delaware. Wrote the financial laws. He's criticizing. That's true. Most credit card companies and financial institutions have their corporate headquarters in Delaware, thanks to Biden. Well, there's no doubt, uh, Philip, that lots of uh, companies in this in this country. Uh, are domiciled in Delaware. It's uh, honestly, Philip. It's mainly it's not about tax laws. The domicile is for investor rights agreements. I actually have some experience with that. In our company, we domiciled in Delaware when we had a diverse equity structure, and that's pretty typical because the flexibility available in structuring investor rights agreements, what's called what are called IRAs for short, when you have diverse equity structures, is uh, the best in Delaware. I'm not sure why. I don't know what the history of that is. I just know you can do things in Delaware with IRAs that you can't do. I'm talking about investor rights agreements that you cannot do in other states, including Mississippi. So that's fairly common. We are stepping aside for a break. It's time for Fox News and a Super Talk News. When we come back on the other side of the break, it's Christian Hartley. Just wrote an opinion on Super Talk's website. You ought to check it out. Stay with us. And now, and now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. We appreciate you joining us today. And uh, also now on the program is Christian Hartley, who is a member of the Coast Young Professionals, is the incoming chair. Is that right, Christian? Welcome to the program. Thank I think you so much for having us today. Yeah, 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 great. Thank you. Uh, I think you were on mute there for a second. So is that right? You're going to be the incoming chair of the Coast Young Professionals? Is that correct? That is that is correct. How long have you been uh, a member of the organization? So I've been with Coast Young Professionals going on about three, four years now. And my first event that I attended was the Ignite Leadership Conference. We've actually got the Ignite Leadership Conference coming up again in November. And I I went to that conference, enjoyed it so much, joined, um, and it's been a great experience. And now I'm the incoming chair, so I'm excited. Okay, awesome. So we wanted to have you on to discuss an article, an opinion piece you recently published at Supertalk Media at our website. And it is uh, it concerns saying the word yes, shall we say? This is in the next next up series. Next up, saying yes, ellipse scared is what uh, the title of the article. So ex- explain what you mean by that. Saying yes, and sometimes it's scary to say yes. What do you mean? 
Sure. So a couple of years ago, I was able to speak at Ignite. And one of the things that I talked about was how, as young professionals, we've got to say yes. And I commented that sometimes we have to say yes, and it's a scary yes. And so Coach Young Professionals and the Chamber asked me to re write a story about this and write an opinion about this. And it's just really interesting that saying yes with some fear, a little bit of trepidation, um, when you're taking that next big step, uh, it comes with a lot of people. A lot of people experience that. And sometimes what you want is on the other side of that really scary yes. Yeah, I got you. So I, I read your story there. You, uh, you went through a job change, is that correct? And that uh, that's, that's always that's always a stressful event in our lives, and and this is something that evidently you contemplated and, and prayed about, uh, but but ultimately took the plunge. So uh, give us a story there. Sure. So I had been in the credit union field for 18 years, and towards the end of 2021, I was approached with a few different job offers, but they were in different fields. And um, it was a scary thought. So I submitted over my resignation at the credit union that I worked for and took some time and ended up accepting the position as market president of Cadence Bank here in Pascagoula. So that's Jackson County, Mississippi, here on the coast. And it was a, it was a scary yes, because you're stepping into the unknown. And I mentioned on there that I was armed with nothing but my faith and knowing that I had trusted Christ with my eternal salvation. I knew I could trust him in this next step and that he would go before me and he would be with me in whatever I did. Yeah. So uh, how are you feeling about that today? It all working out for you? It's great. I have, I've gotten some tremendous opportunities here within Cadence Bank. And um, one of them is serving on the Mississippi Young Bankers Council. So I've been able to get um, up to Jackson several times and um, see our legislators in action which has been really exciting. And also Cadence Bank, um, one of our values is we want to create a great place to work. And in one of those ways, Cadence Bank is has developed an emerging talent program. And basically, they have committed to a big scary yes by developing a, a really good bench of leaders and telling pouring into us um, whatever, whatever we need to take those next steps um, in our careers. So do you find that the bank, that the organization is, uh, is, is fair and, and fairly ambitious with respect to just moving people through the organization into higher levels of responsibility, um, just higher level jobs? Well, I think it's really important that they are showing that they want to develop us and they're pouring into us the information that we need. Oftentimes, um, you get in a position where you want maybe that next step, but you haven't really been prepared for it. And so that's why it's important for our leaders, especially our leaders and organizations, that we don't look at people who are perhaps ambitious as a threat, but we look at it as an opportunity that we can continue to build and we can develop people who can be that next step, that next generation. So I really appreciate the fact that Cadence Bank is taking the time to intentionally develop their group of um, teammates of one one of which I am. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you talk about develop, uh, Christian, is this uh, like formal sort of training uh, in professional development? Uh, is it informal, maybe through mentoring? Or I've seen organizations where they're uh, assign a person to a more senior person and kind of shadow them and, and learn from them. Combination, all the above? 
It's a combination of both. It's a combination of both. So we have a really in-depth training department and development department, and they work really hard to make sure that there's some soft skills. And then we also, as I mentioned in the article, we have our C-suite, our chiefs who have committed to mentoring that formal one-on-one. I actually have a session coming up this upcoming Thursday, so I'm excited about that. But I love the fact that they've taken the time to intentionally take this time to develop us, these leaders who are next up in their organization. Yeah, so is there any uh, particular career path that you have your sights set on, perhaps, with the bank at this point that you want to share? Well, I'll tell you what I've told um, other people is that two years ago, I had no idea that I would be sitting in this chair. And honestly, my scripture, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. I just want to continue to keep my focus on Christ, do the very best in what I'm doing in my role. And whatever those opportunities are, prayerfully consider them and then say yes to that next big opportunity. And that's that's really kind of the uh, the main theme of uh, your piece that you wrote here that's published on our website is this idea of saying yes. So are you recommending that uh, young professionals such as yourself always say yes or are there times when you need to say no? Right. So there are some opportunities that you I, I just recommend that you prayerfully consider them um, personally. Um, I I rely heavily on my faith. And so I pray and I seek a lot of counsel for that. Um, there, When you say yes to an opportunity, you might be saying no to another one. And so it's just important to make sure you have a really good balance of deciding what is it that you really want and having that clear structure so you can communicate it to the next leader. What about in, in speaking of which, in in your present role? I mean, you're you're somewhat of a veteran, having been in the industry and in the workforce for uh, 18 years, leading up to this this decision to move and change jobs. Are there people that uh, you're starting to take under your wings and and mentor as well? That's right. So I have a small but mighty team here in Pascagoula. We're building our market from the ground up. And so it's funny because each of us take an opportunity to learn what the next person does. And it's just, I believe it's just a good business practice for the person who may be out of the office. I know earlier this year, I was out of the office for almost a month unexpectedly, but nothing missed a beat here at Cadence Bank in Pascagoula. And that's because we've developed our team to be able to function in each capacity, regardless of who's here. Yeah. Well, so it, it seems like you really enjoy uh, what you do. You enjoy the work, enjoy uh, the people, and uh, the financial and the banking industry, even though it uh, can be a bit technical, certainly from uh, – it has many technical aspects to it, I should say. It's really the people that make the difference in that business. It certainly was in my business career. That's, that's the differentiator. That's correct. That's correct. And we value relationships. We value relationships. We pledge to do right by others. We want to keep our customers at the center of our business. And like I said, it's so important about when you're developing people um, that you're, you're focusing on them as a whole person. Yeah. So to, to other young professionals that uh, are tuned in, what, what would you say to them as they're, they're perhaps grappling with some of these critical career decisions as well? I would encourage them to have their why, number one. And then number two, I would encourage them to find out what it is that you want. What is that role that you want? You know, and then be able to clearly communicate that to your superiors at your job. Um, Perhaps it's a networking event at Coach Young Professionals. You might meet someone who can make that big networking connection for you, but be able to clearly communicate what that next step is. 
Yeah, and so are you, I'm assuming you're doing that uh, with uh, the folks in your organization, right, that perhaps are, are at this point a bit higher in the organizational hierarchy? You, you meet with them, discuss with them your career goals and objectives, and you're just objectives in the workplace there at Cadence. Is that accurate to say? That's accurate. Yeah, and 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 this, in this, you find this to be kind of a, a feature of the culture at the bank. There, that's encouraged. That sort of open and constant dialogue and open door policy, if you will. That's been my experience, and like I said, I'm brand new to the bank. I call myself still brand new to the bank, but that's been my experience overwhelmingly here. No matter if I've met our our president and CEO Dan Rollins, or even down to my division president, who I report to raise your hand, ask for help, um, and we're here to help you in any way that we can. And that's what's been really encouraging about being an employee at Cadence Bank. Gotcha. Well, Christian, it's been a pleasure speaking to you, and and, uh, I'm sure we'll talk some more. Good luck to you uh, in your career and your professional life. Thank you so much. You got it. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well Studio. With Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk, Mississippi. the Sanderson Farms Championship on Friday. You're going to have, uh, let's see, the Sports Talk guys, right? They're going to be there tomorrow, Thursday. Thursday, right. I'm looking at our live reads. I think it's uh, a little discombobulated that there, but that's okay. But I'm going to be there Friday, uh, Sports Talk. I think they got it backwards. I'm going to be there Friday. Correct. Sports talk's going to be there Thursday. Correct. Okay. I want to make sure we get that right. Cruising the coast on Wednesday. Sports talk at Sanderson Farms on Thursday. Middays at Sanderson Farms on Friday. Got it. Looking forward to that, as always. Weather looks like it's going to be good, and the uh, professionals are uh, in town to give it a try there at the Country Club at Jackson. I understand the course is in great shape, so it should be a fantastic event. Come by and see us. Uh, let's see, you can get tickets to the Sanderson Farms uh, Championship at sandersonfarmschampionship.com. Go ahead and do that. So that's what's going to be happening. But we also have a chance to win, so stay tuned. What's that? We also have a chance oh, for right. you to win tickets. Pardon to me. Go to Sanderson Farms. Thank so you stay for reminding me of that. that. We had, just like we did yesterday, we got more tickets to give away. We certainly do. And uh, Rhino will be handling that later on in the program. Appreciate that. So, uh, that was a fascinating interview with uh, Ms. Hartley. That really was. And, you know, I, my message always is, and very similar to what she said, is when you're making these critical, pivotal decisions in life, make sure your heart and your mind 
are perfectly in sync. You do not make those decisions unless that is the case. And, and folks have asked me, young folks have said, how do you know that? You just know. You know. It's innate. And you know. Um, so make sure you got that going on. Let's see here. Get back to the C Spire text line. If the Democrats have a problem with the taxes paid, not paid, why don't they change the tax laws? Well, that's a good uh, point there, Arlen. They want to. But it, the reason they don't is because they don't have the numbers. They don't control the House. And you're limited on what you can do in the Senate without 60 votes. So you've got to have the old trifecta. What Trump passed, by the way, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the TCJA in 2017, was passed with a simple majority in the Senate, but that's because it was done through what's called reconciliation, which allows legislation that meets certain criteria to pass with a simple majority. Um, And one of the things that, unfortunately, that meant was that the individual tax provisions of the legislation expire at the end of 2025. They could not be made permanent. Um, If they were permanent, that means, based on reconciliation rules, 60 votes would have been required in the Senate. That wasn't going to happen because no Democrats supported the legislation. And you couldn't get 60 votes without peeling off some Democrats. So, But you're right, Arlen. I mean, that's what it's all about. This whole discussion of taxes is... um, is it one that has a lot of depth and a lot of width to it. It does get kind of wonky, no doubt about that. But, you know, that's what you get paid to do up there in Washington, so you need to know a lot of that sort of stuff. It's always entertaining to hear members of Congress, says Robert and Brandon, rail against corporations for using tax laws to their advantage, but you never hear any Congressman refusing deductions and filing a 1040 easy form. No, you won't. You won't hear anybody doing that. I mean, I'm not aware of anybody that says, I'm just not going to leverage such a deduction or, or credits available to me or anything to minimize my tax liability, treatment of revenues, etc. I don't know anybody that does that. Somebody help me out. Let me know. Yeah, I like the government so much, and I found them to be such an efficient manager of money that I'm just going to send them more to them. Gee whiz. Let's see. The river level is killing the farmers on the ceasefire tax line. We got a text on that. Yeah, I've heard that as well. That is, uh, of course, in reference to... Mr. Austin Golding, who was on the program with Golding Barge Line earlier, talking about the challenges. Now, you were telling me that, uh, was it you, that uh, has seen it, right? Who saw it? Somebody in our meeting the other day was talking about that. It's incredibly low. Uh, maybe it's I mean, I've seen pictures of it, and yeah, you, there are pictures all around social media of different things that have previously been on the bottom of the river that are now sticking up out of the mud. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Jean and Mendenhall says Senator Dianne Feinstein's death leaves her daughters $102 million of assets, which includes, I don't think it's a $62 million private jet. Is it, Jean? I, I thought it was, well, it doesn't matter. It's an expensive private jet. That's how she gets around. I'm sure, Pelosi is much higher. She's been there, will we figure out, since 92? 
two, I believe, right? One year. Well, I think before. he's talking about personal net worth, and you got to remember for both of those examples, their husbands are loaded. Yeah, I mean, I, I know there's always this this suggestion that they achieved all that wealth while they were in Congress, or because they were in Congress, or a re, as a result of benefits that they availed themselves to as I mean, a Feinstein member of Congress. Had three husbands. The first was a judge. The second was a neurosurgeon, and then her third husband, who I think, didn't he pass away last year, like February or March of last year? Yeah, Richard Blum. He was a finance guy. Big time. Like, he bought, what did he buy? Was it Barnum and Bailey that he bought for $8 million and then sold it to the toy company for like 40 or $50 million? Seems like that's right. And that's where her, I mean, he's, he's an investor by trade, and that's um, Blum Investment Management Firm. Blum Capital, equity management firm. I mean, those are... I mean, on the face of it, it's easy to go, look, look, corruption. But when you take that one step down, that added layer of understanding, yeah, it, it kind of falls apart. It, it does. Uh, also, big time into media and real estate. So uh, that's how she achieved her fortune. Yeah, you're right. I'm looking at it. Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Circus for $8 million. Sold it to Mattel. For I knew it was 40, a toy company. Yeah, for forty million. <laughs> How about that? And that was in the seventies, by the way. That's before she was in Congress. So that's where the her fortune came primarily from him. I believe she married him. I want to say it was in like nineteen eighty or something like that. Married him the longest. Yeah. Uh but I uh, I get it. Let's see. Paula Meridian says Walmart Plus saves you $0.10 cents a gallon on fuel, pays for the program just in fuel savings for me. Yeah, there's lots of programs like that. Costco, Kroger, they have similar programs. And um, as you as you um, shop at the stores, right, you accumulate points. Oh, yeah. yeah you spend your... $1,000 at the K-Roger, they'll give you a dollar off. Yeah. But you got to spend $1,000. <laughs> That's right. Dan in Hasburg says, I paid two ninety nine per gallon in Long Beach on Sunday. Appreciate the info there. It's it's we just mentioned it's three twenty two on average in the state of Mississippi. Talk about uh, the lower fifty percent of taxpayers. Yeah, so I this is something I talked about earlier, which is the top fifty percent. This is according to federal government data, Department of Treasury, the top fifty percent of taxpayers shoulder 97.3% of income taxes, and the bottom 50% pay 2.7% of all income taxes. Yeah, they probably also do receive most of the benefits, at least the welfare benefits and so forth. Massey is against it, so that's good enough for me to be against it. What are we talking about here? The ouster. Thomas. Oh, I got you. Wow. That's who you follow, Thomas? Massey? Whatever Massey says? Interesting. I know a lot of libertarians do. I don't know. I'm a little leery of a guy that always seems to be wanting to show the world how many guns he's got. I mean, I, I mean, it's fine. Have all the guns you want. It's perfectly legal as far as I'm concerned. But any of the guy that does the Christmas cards, like with his two-year-old with a Elephant shooting rifle or something like that. I think so. I think I think it's Christmas cards, right? You see it? Yeah. <laughs> Always brandishing guns. Okay, great, Thomas. We understand. You got guns. Thank you. Um, 
Ricky in Aberdeen says, 18 years in the credit union business, and she's the leader of the young professionals. I guess 40 is a new young. Absolutely. Ricky? Uh, she's not 40 just yet. I want to say, from my understanding, this is just cursory glance at her bio, that she worked her way through college working as a, a teller and then a representative at the bank. Okay. So that's how she got so many years, years of experience. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say. And I don't know what the age range is that to uh, qualify to be in the young professionals. I'm not really sure. But uh, she's very well-spoken, bright person, has a bright future ahead. Chris from Oxford, Gates. Like Bill Gates? Just asked... No, I- Matt Gates. Matt, oh, G-A-E-T-Z. Okay, spelled G-A-T-E-S. Okay. Asked Hakeem Jeffries to vacate the seat? Vacate the well, speaker seat. He's got to have the Democrats yeah, to, to do vote. it because he's only got a handful of Republicans, of Republicans. to vote. It would be Democrats plus a handful of Republicans would, if they were to achieve the vacation of the seat. Coming right back. Stay with us. This program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. in the Element Well studio with 38 Special. Good bumper music there from Rhino. Appreciate that. Don't forget, hang in there with us in the next segment. We're giving away tickets to the Sanderson Farms Championship. So, let's see. There was something else coming up. The next budget boat will make people mad. And here we go again in 45 days. A snake eating its tail. No doubt about it. It's not going away. This is just the old continuing resolution for 45 days. So someone said that Jeffrey's just called, Jerry in Wensboro, Jeffrey's just called for the Democrats to oust McCarthy. He's done. Well, let's see here. I believe that, according to my math, Rhino, four or five Republicans would have to join Democrats in voting against the Speaker staying in the seat. My, I think it's the way the math works out. So if you get all Democrats, if they follow... It would take five. Five, okay. So, Provided the Democrats all vote in block. And I'm not sure they will. Uh, it's hard to say. Now, you would think that they would oblige their leader. That's typically what happens. They'll walk the plank for the leader. If the leader says, this guy's got to go. But then, okay, who are we going to get? And this is all because they wanted to shut the government down. At the end of the day, they wanted to shut the government down. We'll show them. We're going to shut the government down. I I think that ignores the fact that Republicans control half of one chamber. It's not really a lot, unfortunately. We don't have, and, and by a very slim margin, we don't have the Senate. We don't have the White House. And that's how laws are made in this country. So this whole budget debate, Okay, I'm watching it uh, on ordering the previous question. I don't know exactly what that means, but 
Looks like all the votes are on party lines right now. I'm sure this is related to the move to oust the Speaker, to replace the Speaker. Really, I guess you're you're not necessarily moving to replace as much as you are ousting, because he could still be, I guess, right? He could still be nominated and and approved and voted back into the seat, back into the position. That's interesting. So I, this looks like some sort of procedural vote that it, in advance of the actual vote on McCarthy's fate as the Speaker. Interesting, watching all that. So Feinstein had a billionaire husband and also a neurosurgeon husband. Yeah, that's what Rhino was just talking about. That's on the ceasefire text line, and we looked it up. Did have three husbands. The, the latest one, Blum, was uh, achieved pretty significant wealth. Um, and so it looks like she's going to leave a $100 million estate to her doctors, right? I mean, if you want to dive even deeper into that, if you look at her net worth before Blum's passing and after Blum's passing, before Blum's passing, her net worth was up around $90 million. After his passing and dividing up his assets among the kids, she was down south of $20 million. Yeah, it's true. So, and Which tells me the majority of it came from him. Well, and and you know we've talked about this before as well, but we we've been through the list of uh, members of Congress and and analyzed their their net worth, and the vast majority of those who uh, are wealthy were that that way before they got there. They achieved their wealth in business or through other means before they were ever a member of uh, the Congress, you know, House or Senate. I think uh, Daryl Issa is the one that I worth 450 million, I believe. He's a guy that uh, his family created aftermarket automobile security systems, represented from California. See, last time we looked it up, well, we found he was in, and then he was out, and then he got back in. Remember, he took like some time off, and because I wasn't sure if he was even still in the Congress. Um, seems like he took either a term or two off. Uh, and then ran again and got reelected, but he's he's in there now. And then Rick Scott, senator from Florida, private equity guy, two hundred fifty million or so he's worth. Uh, Mike Braun, senator from Indiana, who's announced he's running for governor of Indiana. He's in some sort of manufacturing business, industrial sort of manufacturing. On the ceasefire text line, having a discussion with uh, someone about uh, that said earlier that. Uh, I'm out for capitalism and profits, but what about these grants and tax credits and all that stuff? And sent us uh, some information about uh, some subsidies and abatements that Tesla receives. And we noted that the vast majority of those are state and local. About, uh, what, $2.4 billion? And federal grants, credits, $233 uh, 333 million. So let's talk first about, and you would expect that, honestly, state and local. Uh, those are mainly, what would you say, mainly from California, where they have most yeah, of their operations. Yeah, headquartered in, or was headquartered in California. Because they make electric vehicles. 
And that's I mean, that's the holy grail, baby. You want you want help from the government? All you gotta do is something green. You get all the help you want. The Inflation Reduction Act, all the tax credits for individuals for buying solar panels and electric water heaters and uh, uh, replacing and modernizing your electric panels and all that kind of stuff. Well, the same as there's a series of of subsidies and credits that those that are involved in manufacturing from components to finished vehicles get from the federal government. Tesla's obviously one of them, but let's talk about the state and local stuff. These are all part of economic development efforts at state and local levels where the states compete. I mean, they just compete on incentives, financial incentives. Typically, there's a, these are done in the way of tax abatements for property taxes. It can be income taxes as well, but generally speaking, it's property taxes ad valorem taxes that are negotiated, and that's in exchange for the company making massive investments in the community and hiring people, paying them. Generally speaking, these are structured such that those incentives are not are not transferred, not provided, uh, unless the company has met their end of the bargain, unless they've satisfied those conditions to create those jobs and create certain level of payroll. So... Um, our listener said, uh, agree, but you and I are still paying for it, and Musk still becomes a billionaire. Well, I don't care if Musk is a billionaire. It's not, that's not keeping me from making any money. In fact, he's, I would argue that what he's doing for society is creating more opportunity for us to generate income. Um, gosh, he's revolutionized the automobile industry, in my view, and really put electric vehicles on the map, whether you like them or not. Lots of technologies coming out of that, and a lot of the other uh, business operations he has as well, I think, will benefit society. And the reason he's a billionaire is because people are willing to invest in the equity of his company. He's a billionaire on paper, more than he is cash, just because of his holdings in Tesla. And all that is just because, hey, investors who are free to invest anywhere they want think that Parking their money in Tesla is a pretty good deal. That's how he got to be a billionaire. Um, and, it's, and a lot of that's just betting on some sort of future cash flows. That's, that's what the stock market is. It's a measurement of discounted future cash flows. And they expect that this guy's going to invent something along the line from all these different lines of business he's in along the way that's going to produce enormous cash flow. And they will benefit from a stock perspective. With respect to the state and local governments, though, it's real easy. They don't have to give these tax incentives, but then you don't get any projects. Because the problem is the neighboring states or other states that you're competing with, they will. They do. So it becomes a free-for-all. Now, we can certainly argue about that just conceptually, if, if that is, um, is, is a proper role of government and if those incentives should be available, but they are, and honestly, it figures in to these decisions, and the companies know that. But what you get in exchange for that are these economic development, uh, economic investments, I should say, these large projects typically with with uh, jobs created, with income, and of course, people working those jobs making money, spending it in the local economy, 
Uh, and of course, all the myriad of companies that benefit just from the construction and the maintenance of those facilities. I have a friend that does a lot of work for um, for Nissan. Does a lot of work inside the factory. Has been since they've been there. Does really specialty metal type work. And they constantly have needs for that. Well, that's not something you're going to buy out of state. So he benefits from that. Among a lot of other people that benefit from just having a Nissan plant here. But this person goes on to say, well, then they ought to reduce in terms of them meeting their conditions of creating jobs. They shouldn't count executive jobs and salaries and bonuses. Why not? They're going to live here, make money here, spend money here, boost the economy here, produce economic output. Well, heck, that ought to be part of it as well. We want more companies that hire more executives, that make more money, to buy bigger houses and bigger cars and spend more money in our economy. That's what we want. We're coming right back with the final segment. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio, and Rhino's going to give away some tickets to the Sanderson Farms Championship. Oh, yeah, we got the Sanderson Farms Championship here this weekend, Mississippi's only PGA Tour event. And Super Talk Mississippi's giving you a chance to go see the pros play. All you got to do to be the winner of a pair of tickets that will be emailed to you is be the 13th person, lucky number 13, to text into the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. Be the 13th person to text in the word ACE, and you'll win a pair of tickets to check out the pros playing in the Sanderson Farms Championship this weekend. If you don't win the tickets, though, you can go ahead and buy some at SandersonFarmsChampionship.com. There you go. So back to this discussion about um, typically local uh, tax incentives. So it can be state. It can be like state income taxes. I've seen that being done as well. Of course, when you think about this, if we eliminated the income tax, you really couldn't have any income tax incentives because there's no income tax liability, uh, which is fine, which would be great. But state and local taxes, typically we're talking about property taxes, uh, ad valorem taxes. And again, um, a lot of folks will say, well, we just shouldn't do that. And I understand the concern that you're, people say you're picking winners and losers or you're extending tax benefits to new companies that are coming in and companies that are already here don't get such benefits. And that, that's understandable. I, I get the grievance there. But let's think about it from a practical perspective, just, from, just, just be realistic about it. If other states municipal areas, county governments, are willing to do that and to work with these companies these on these new economic development projects in extending these sorts of tax abatements, typically temporary, and you don't. You just don't play. You don't get to participate. You're not even competitive. You just get kind of laughed out, eliminated immediately. 
unless you've got something else to offer that would offset that. Um, but on, on the other hand, you could just say, well, let's just take this or leave it. And they'll say, okay, well, we leave it. And then you have the issue of, well, the company was not willing to make that investment, take that risk. And output that sort of money if there's no reduction of their tax liability because it can't make the economics justifiable. It can't produce the return they're looking for, the uh, after-tax return. That's, all of that just figures into this. Um, now, we'll say this. Not as common as it once was because other other needs, other issues are more important, have become a higher priority in these decisions that businesses are making as to where to locate uh, new facilities, expand their business with new factories or, or office-type environments. Uh, what they're more concerned about now is available workforce, power, the regulatory environment, schools, health care, quality of life. All of that is has uh, become a uh, higher priority and is given more weight and factoring in higher in these critical decisions of like where to invest, where to locate, where to expand. That's figuring in more than tax liability and tax structure. So that's the good thing there, is that you're not seeing cities, counties, etc., have to be as aggressive in offering tax abatements just to attract new industry or expansion of existing industry. That's the good news. There again, companies more concerned about other needs uh, that uh, aren't necessarily just purely economic. In that respect, they are economically uh, related indirectly but not directly, as in, in the form of a tax abatement. So I'd say all oh, that's good stuff. So we got a winner there, Rhino? We do. Supposedly Musk is getting into HVAC systems, says Jim of the Delta. All kinds of stuff, man. He's, he's an inventor. I mean, he's an innovator. It's what he does, and he's created a platform to do so. Amazon, for example, is getting into the healthcare business, talking about getting into the pharmaceutical business. Um, these guys, Musk, Bezos, they're unique people. I mean, incredibly unique. And they're innovative. They're inventors. They're, um, they enjoy taking risk. And uh, they're driven, highly driven, highly motivated to just keep producing more and more and more. And people get mad because they keep producing more, and it increases their net worth and their income. Well, that's because they keep producing more. And society responds positively to what they produce. They give up their money for it. Investors invest to uh, support their um, their strategies. It's the way it works. We're out of here today, though. We appreciate you so much for joining us. Once again, back, at, um, back in the studio Thursday. But tomorrow, it's cruising the coast. Tune in. Until then, stay safe, and God bless. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.